Well, I haven't done a story. Not, Do we have thing. any hilarious stories this week? <laughs> I keep... So, anyone listening to this, you should know that me and Darren often... Uh, I'll send him a note and say, oh, I have something really funny I have to tell you, but I'll save it for next week's intro. And then by the time it comes around to do the intro, we... I've completely forgotten them. Do you know what it is too? It's also the we usually do a bit of a pre-interview when we have a guest on, so we we've had a bit of a chat, so we kind of know generally maybe the direction we're going to start walking in. We don't know the end destination, but we know where we're going to how we're going to set off. And we do that when we do these intros too. I kind of go, oh, I've got a great idea, but if I mention it to you during the week, my little thought it always falls over. It's always terrible. <laughs> Here's one for you. I was thinking about. So I'm um, I'm going up to Mount Hotham in. Two weeks. So Mount Hotham's up in the Australian Alpine region and they've decided to open back up and I'm going to be a manager in one of the lodges because... This is a ski lodge. Yeah, ski lodge. Yeah. Because we need... Everyone needs work at the moment. Anyhow, so I'm going to do that. And when I'm up there, I was thinking... And it's funny, I had the thought in my head. I said, I'll definitely bring the banjo. And maybe I should try and get a gig or play, do something. Maybe I should busk. Maybe I should busk up in the snow. Like I know there's an area where there's a big fire pit. I'm like, that'd be great. And then my wife said to me, Hey, why don't you approach the pubs or the cafes and see if you can do a little set or something? And I thought, ha 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 ha. Now, I'm, I'm having the heart palpitations that I want to talk about at the moment, mentioning this. And then thirdly, m- my son Aiden turns around and he says, Dad, you know at the bottom of uh, the mountain, uh, Harrierville? I'm like, yeah. You know that pub? I'm like, yeah. You should, you should busk there. And I'm like... Brooke must have mentioned something to him. Nah, he just thought about it. Got there on his own for some reason, right? So I'm just like, okay, I need to process this as a thought of something that I should do, right? I, I, I've probably let my my drive drop in the last six months or so. I've kind of just trying new things and pushing and, and getting out there. And I went, right, you know what? I should. My, my, my banjo's You know what's skilled. done that? It's the fiddle. Mm. The no, that well, it's... That dog in the manger. It... <laughs> It's weird. Yeah. That's not the point I want to make, but it's definitely yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. The point I was going to get to is, what is it? Now, I don't know if you can hear it in, in, in this take, but my heart is thumping at the minute because of what I'm going to say. What is it within us that is so terrifying about getting up and, like, I'll, I'll lose the ability to play, practicing, thinking about doing this process. I get so wound up, so nervous. Like we do this every week, and there's hundreds, thousands of people that end up listening to it, and it's fine. But the thought of doing this now, the thought of failure, is you just, mean playing the playing mm-hmm. these, playing, I, playing tunes in the pub for yeah. strangers. And I don't know which is the scarier bit: the playing or the asking, "Can I?" <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. that maybe it's the tall poppy syndrome thing that we spoke about going way back. Like, who am uh-huh. I to think I'm good enough? to to get up there and do it but then i'm like screw it well how many people have you seen playing in pubs and and you've thought oh I, clearly i am good enough to do this like i can i can rattle out a few songs you know i'm i, I should say like, i don't know if i've ever seen a, a solo claw hammer banjo player do it i don't know people seem to like it because they don't hear it in this uh, part of the world so often yeah and it's a very I play a lot of very laid back tunes and then of a selection of songs that are kind of from raucous to nice and depressing. So I don't know. We'll watch this space. It's happening in two weeks. So I've got two weeks to. It's two weeks till you go up. So you yeah. better think about whether you're going to do it or not. And look, well, if I, if you should ne- at least ask. If I mean, this it? never comes up in conversation again on the Blinding Pilgrims, do you know I chicken that? You should. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, but well, look, if you've done it, you like. I don't know when the last time you did it, but chasing the the gig and practicing for a gig is it your brain enters a very different place than just practicing for a session or practicing for the love of the music. It's so practicing. it's so long ago, but it, it's been so long ago, but um, that I I can't really remember to be honest. I, I I genuinely can't. I mean, there's sort of arrangements and you know if there's more than you know like playing with three other people there's an arrangement uh-huh. thing going on you know there's also the safety in numbers thing exactly. there's a safety in numbers right um and we've, t- we've talked about this before there's no that on some level uh when you're doing something on your own there's there's no hiding place right uh-huh. there's no um but at the same time that's what brings out ideally that's what brings out the best in you because you're just 
face to face with, with yeah. your own destiny. Yeah. <laughs> right there. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's Completely. you've done it. You've done it here. You had a, a house concert here and you played and um on your own and it was great and that it's that. It's just, you know, you're doing it on your own and it's only by doing it you I think that you I think you probably everybody does it differently, but there's definitely um you definitely acquire a set of tools for managing that process, right? Whether it's just imagining yourself playing to 3,000 people rather than 12, mm-hmm. or whether it's just imagining yourself to be a lot better than you actually are, or, you know, putting up a screen in your brain and just going, right, and ignoring everything, or whatever it is, there, there's ways that, that people start to figure out how to do it, you know? I've just thought then there's probably... I've said something similar with regards to playing an instrument in general, and it's maybe the willingness the willingness to suck, right? Right. And I, I believe that's a huge part of the what you need to become a player. It's just, you just need to be okay with being shit for ages. And maybe the playing in front of people is you need to... That's just another part of your the ego. You need to put a put some brakes on and go, you know what? It's okay to be shit. It's okay to suck. It's okay to fall down. It's okay to be bad. Well, there's not a sh- there's not a shortcut to getting past that. I would imagine. No. Like, there's no shortcut other than doing it. Mm. Right? It's like, you know, it's not like you can cut across the middle and get to where you want to go. You just have to do that thing. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. <laughs> so does that fun developments? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I um, nothing. I've got nothing exciting to report apart from my COVID nineteen test, which came back negative, thankfully, but. Um, uh, really just um, the COVID-19 test just you know you, you get a swab taken from the back of your throat like as far down as they can go basically in fact in fact the nurse virtually climbed in there she was like she was like, <laughs> she I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there I'll, and, uh, and then another swab from up in the back of your nose up here like in between the eyes in between the eyes right where where it's probably never been touched before um so how was uh, it being touched there it was it was like getting stung by a bee several times like a bee that was going <laughs> right got you like <laughs> so it was a syrian i'll tell you um but anyway no covid so that's good um yeah. all right so this week we have probably a unique episode it's part one of a two-part interview with the phenomenon that is luke plum why have we gone for two parts, Tom? We're gone for two parts because when I started, so Darren wasn't able to make this uh, recording, so I was doing it on myself, on my own. It was just me and Luke, and as I was doing the recording, I looked over at the recorder at one point, as you do to sort of just keep track of where we're going time wise. And already forty minutes had gone like that, and I hadn't even noticed. And it was such a great conversation. We sat down to talk for an hour. And we ended up. St- speaking for like I don't know two and a half hours something like that so rather than have a sort of two and a half to three hour episode we decided we'll split it into two so So here's 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 how it breaks down is is we have this first section which you're about to hear today and we talk a bit so just you know who Luke is Luke is a, a musician um he's based in Tasmania and he is a mandolin player he's an arranger he's a composer he's a teacher he has toured with many, many bands. He played for many years with Sugal Nifty, the Scottish electronica dance band. Um, and he has toured several times with Andy Irvin and, and recorded and produced an album with Andy Irvin, Andy being uh, one of the founder members of Planksty. And so he's he's phenomenal musician. And uh, the things that we talk about, I think, are really uh, right in the wheelhouse of why you and I started this project, Darren. Stuff about music, about playing, about teaching, about learning, about living, about dying. I mean, we go everywhere. So, so that's what's coming up. And just a quick uh, point on a couple of things. We mentioned a couple of players who I think if you had been in the interview, you would have gone, "Who are you talking about?" Because <laughs> me, me and me and um, uh, me and Luke sort of start talking about. Uh, Nick Jones and Martin Carthy, two English guitar players. So, Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so Martin Carthy was a was a 
is still alive, I think. Um, he's an English guitar player and he was particularly um, in the early 60s, he was around the English folk scene and he was very influential on people like Paul Simon and um, Bob Dylan when they were yeah. coming to the UK for the first time. And in fact, I've, I've, I remember years ago reading something that uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel's version of Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Time was basically stolen from Martin mm-hmm. Carthy. Um, so just, you know. There you go. Uh, Somebody said that, not me. So it is me um, now. And the other person that, that we talk about is Nick Jones. And Nick, um, Nick Jones was a phenomenal guitar player for about 12, 13 years. I think he was. He started recording in about 1970. And in 1982, he had an accident and he wasn't able to play or record after that. But in that 12 years, he produced a series of albums that have been really landmarks in English folk music. And I think, actually, as I was... Coming up here, I was thinking about this, and both with Martin Carthy and with Nick Jones, I think they sort of mirror the developments that were happening in Irish folk music, which is you have old tradition uh, coming into contact with mass reproduction, you know, uh, recording industry, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these things becoming available in ways that they weren't before. And so you have somebody like Nick Jones going and sourcing really old songs and really old ballads and reversioning them and putting together this very distinctive guitar style that he has and playing them. So, uh, so, so those are. I just want to kind of give an idea of who those figures are as we start talking about them because we start chatting about it and we don't do much explanation. So I just wanted to let you know. Should we get into it? All right, enough of me. Um, yeah, here is a, a couple of jigs from Luke Plum. Thank you. 
Well, so you don't know the name of those tunes by any chance, do you? Uh, I, I know one of them is Jackie Smalls. Right, right. Um, and they're, they're, I think one of them's on uh, the first Dannon record with um, uh, Dolores Keane singing and the, other, and the other one's off Selected Jigs, Reels and Songs. Right, right. Fin- I think, I think, like, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll be able to find them anyway. So so what's your... Um, uh, Dannon has a, has a sort of a bit of a part to play in, in your history of um, yeah. coming into contact with <laughs> Irish music, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. the the uh, the first the first live music that I ever saw was uh, a bit a bitterly cold. Um, uh, you know, the the one of the wharfs down in Hobart, Princess Wharf Number One, um, which has now been turned into a lovely kind of Mona venue. Um, you know, for their music festivals and whatever. But in 1993 or four or whatever it was. It was just freezing cold. I had a midwinter festival, the Celtic Winterfest, and my parents dragged me and the, the whole family along to, um, you know, to hear some Irish music. Um, and Didanen were playing, um, you know, little old Hobart in the early. I think it was even kind of before Riverdance really started kind of being a big thing. So it was probably earlier than I'm imagining. Certainly before Riverdance ever ever toured Australia, right? Um, but uh, and I can kind of mark it in time because the record they were touring was Hibernian Rhapsody with with Tommy Fleming singing, um, and uh, I just remember the sound was awful and Frankie stormed off stage, um, like you know I didn't know what their names were at that <laughs> stage, but um frankie stormed off stage and wouldn't you know we were sitting out there for what seemed to be hours waiting for the sound to get good <laughs> and then they came on and played and you know i was learning classical violin and um frankie was tearing it up on the fiddle and i thought you know this is incredible you know yeah really wild so uh, you were learning classical violin um so what age were you roughly i started uh, violin when i was 13 um, I would have been probably, oh, probably, probably thirteen or um, probably probably fourteen or fifteen. I'm kind of marking it in. No, I would have been. I must have started violin when I was twelve, and this would have been uh, thirteen or fourteen. A year or two later. Right. Right. Yeah. Grade, grade seven or eight. Yeah. And and were you enjoying it? Classical violin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, not so much the violin, but certainly playing in orchestras. I, I and I, I still I still tell this to everybody that um, you know uh, every opportunity. And here's another one <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that the orchestra playing in an orchestra is something um, really magical. Um, I described it once um, uh, to someone that I can't think of of any other endeavour where so many people come together with just one um, purpose and that is to make something beautiful. Like I can't, I you know, like there's, there's kind of co- competitive sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a group of people all together, but, you know, AFL's only got 18 on the, on the ground. Um, and, and I, I was doing, uh, the, the youth orchestra down here, which used to get, um, for the big concerts, we'd get in the local, you know, the Hobart City Choir or whatever, and half of the TSO would come and join and sit, sit in the back and help us along. And we did big, you know, we did Carmina Burana and um, uh, a, a couple of really big pieces with, you know, 50 in the choir and kind of 50 on the stage. And a, and a, That's a huge brass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like just that, that that stuff's really wild to be kind of sitting there in the middle of it and then, you know, in the moment because there's nothing as deafening, you know. So even as a youngster, you're able to um, you're able to appreciate that. You're, it's not that you're um, necessarily frozen in fear, that, you know, no. a mistake or anything. It's just it's the- no, 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 no. The the. Um, I mean, my my experience of it, and I think this this ties in as well to when I started playing trad music. Um, I think I was really lucky that Hobart 
particularly back then, but even, you know, I can see it now with uh, um, having lived in Melbourne and moved back here, the, um, uh, there's, like, it's a very different thing. Um, it's a very different city. Um, in, in uh, like, the, the, the idea of what might be considered elite in Melbourne, like, we don't have the population for things that would be, you know, like, like orchestral music, classical music that might be kind of, oh, a bit kind of, you know, poo-pooed or whatever as the, as, as, as something. Um, uh, yeah, like we, we just don't have the, we just don't have the population for that. So it's a lot more kind of, um, relaxed, I suppose, mm-hmm. you know, like there was, when I started playing Irish music, there was one session and there were 10 musicians and so, and so it was like, um, and there were some pretty good players and there were some, you know, some people just starting out and I was like really just starting out. I went to my first session when I'd taken the mandolin out in public. Um, I, I got the mandolin at the very end of 1996 and in the second week of January I took it out in public, you know, kind of for the first time to sight read through some you know, hornpipes and what have you. Um, and, uh, and then the next, the next week I was in the session and, and there was no, like, you know, there was nobody, nobody good enough to be able to say, you're doing it terribly wrong. Don't ever come in here again. <laughs> because if they did, they'd be playing on their own the next week. Right. Cause it like, it just, it, so, so it was the most, the most welcoming thing, um, and the, the, the orchestra experience for me was the same. The TSO guys were so um, kind of encouraging. Is that and, Tasmanian you know, Symphony Orchestra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was at that stage in the, in the 90s, like they were recording for the ABC every week. Mm-hmm. They were touring nationally and internationally. It was a really, it was a, for the size of Hobart, that orchestra was punching well above its weight. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> like a really good um, small orchestra. Um, yeah, so I, you know, so when for a, kid, for a kid who didn't know any better, I felt like a rock star every time I put the boat on. Yeah, but the that's, fiddle, that's really know? interesting because one of the um, recurring stories that that we've come across with uh, a lot of musicians who end up moving into the folk world away from the classical world is partly because the classical world feels like it's isolated and very individual and you know very individual centric. But it sounds like part of the the real uh, thrill for you and your heart was about was about the collective nature of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I I think, um, and I'll take a guess and say, there's a lot of people who go into classical music and play the piano, and that's not really a team sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, let's go on tour. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and then you know. Um, people who do uh, classical violin and maybe do it in their school, um, but the the youth orchestra program for me it was absolutely deadly, um, and uh, and I like I, I know a bunch of I, know, I still am in touch with a bunch of the people, you know thanks to Facebook admittedly, but um, so many of the people who went through all of that at that time and I can't speak for what it was like before or after, but. At that period in time, um, everybody remembers that so fondly. Can you can you tell me the story? Of, uh, do you, Do you remember a particular performance that that had your hair standing up in the back of your neck? Um, for for the for that orchestra, yeah, w- with yourself playing. Yeah, yeah. I okay. Um, uh, well, playing Camino Burana is you know because the I was in the the violins in the in the firsts and you start off with just a super high note up in the dusty bit, Angus Grant used to call it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, tremolo, like soaring away, like you want to cut the thing in half up high. And the, you know, there's the big, the, the drums, like it's just phenomenally loud beginning yeah. to come in. When that hits, you know, cause there's always the anti like before any concert and classical music every you know it's it's pin drop stuff you can hear everybody breathing when that you know ready and go from silence to that is 
extraordinary. Um, like again, I can't think of I can't think of too many things where it's just that you know that kind of instantaneous volume of air being shifted. Like that's that's really interesting. Um, but aside from that, and and this is actually this has stuck with me in terms of the kind of music, like my ideas about music and the function of instruments and all of that stuff, production, like, I mean, this this is kind of bedrock musical ideas for me, um, was playing the um, uh, Schubert's Unfinished Symphony because the violins in that, they start off, I can probably even remember it, Oh, or you know, there you go. That's however many years that is. <laughs> Twenty-seven years ago. Um, but but they play this, and it's really quiet. Like just a shimmer, um, and then all of this other beautiful stuff builds around it, and they can get louder and softer within that. But it's mostly just shimmering first violins you know mm. um acting as this as this kind of just um an ambience w- which is crucial um but not really present enough for you to be aware of it if it's um uh while everything else is going yeah so the the things that you notice when you take them out um as they you know they leave a hole but they're not the um, they're not the object of your focus when they're when they're in, right? right. Um, and and I I really like that, you know. And I also really like the idea that um, this really repetitive, if you focused on that, you know, or whatever it is, whatever it is, but da 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 da, that's really frantic. Um, but you take a step back from it and then it just feels like a wash, you know? Uh-huh. I, I really like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and what about the, um, what about the, when you're talking about focus there, it, it, it's like, what about the, the sense of being just one part of a moving machine? You know? mm, yeah. I, uh, and I, 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 I thought about this today. This is going to go a little bit left field, but like oh, stick with it. me. Yeah. Um, Around the same time, I started getting really interested, you know, at 13, 14 in ancient, um, like the ancient world. And there was a great documentary came out on the, on the ABC narrated, and I, I like, this, this is stuff that gets burned in your brain, you know. It was narrated by a guy called John Romer, and it was about ancient Egypt, um, but nothing to do with pharaohs and gold. So there'd be an episode on the painters and an episode on the sculptors and an episode on the farmers and so on and so on and so on. Like, what was the lives like for not the ones with the crowns? Yep. Um, and he had this... Uh, one of the episodes was on the sculptors and he was uh, at one of the Colossuses at Abu Simbel um Ramses the second I think I think you know I'm I'm guessing now but these you know kind of 10 story high statues um and and he said imagine there's 10 guys working on the statue at the same time and that's and that's how they did them there'd be a swarm of fellas carving these things out and the idea of that kind of one person working on a shoulder while another person's working on the wrist of the same arm, but unable to see each other, and and so this idea of kind of um, everybody working together on this one thing, each playing a part, kind of almost innately aware of what else is going on, and the part that you're working on yourself, in and of itself, being really unimportant. But again, you know, there'd be a gaping hole if it was taken away. Well, that, that's such a, I mean, that's such a, a metaphor for so many things. I mean, so many things. I, I mean, in, in yeah. a, um, since since we're going to left field, I mean, where are we going there? Well, it's really, it's it's that's uh, like when I was growing up. You, you'll you'll probably remember um, Margaret Thatcher saying, "There's no such thing as society," right? 
Society yeah. is that very thing that you've just talked about, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's that. It's that, and you know, I I also think there when you're when you're talking about that, I think about you know uh, my dad in the course of my dad's life and his working life and the disappointments he had and and you know when he died, you know, we were talking and how do you evaluate somebody's life, right? How do you evaluate the 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 person who was working on the shoulder, right? While yeah. somebody else was working yeah. on the wrist and somebody else is working on the other parts, you know. Um, yeah, that's 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 really fascinating. Um, so let's yeah. talk a bit more about the about the ancient world in a minute. But do you fancy um, yeah. another tune or another tune? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what 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 do you what do you fancy? What do I fancy? Yeah. Um, I'd say I do requests, but I probably don't. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have a clue. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, something else by um, by Schubert. Yeah, would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another three three bars. Um, no, you, it's it's um, it's yeah. But my my pick. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's think. It's a bit hard to I go random. So I, after this, I'm going to ask you about the 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 beginnings of your exposure to Irish music. So maybe maybe you want to okay lead into that. S- something. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I'll. I'll Oh, I know, I know. Um, uh, some uh, some um, tunes from I don't know where. They're off a off a um, Mary McNamara record, anyway. Reels, uh, the first one, McGreevy's, the sweetheart, and Miss McGuinness. All right. Um.
nothing to it. Um, so that was incredible. Oh well, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I feel really rusty. I'm in a I'm in a chair with arms. I'm right. plugged in with with microphones around me, so I'm feeling a bit hampered. But oh, it's all right. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, well, so it's interesting you mentioned Miri McNamara there because, um, you know, we spoke to her very early on in, um, I think, in an episode of this and she was talking about people listening, you know, and she says people people don't really listen, you know, and you have to, you know, when you're teaching people, you have to, te- first thing you have to teach them how to do is teach them how to listen. Yeah. And um, I find that really interesting. So um, you describe in a very offhand way picking up a mandolin around the age of 19 and having played the fiddle just, you know, taken to it like a duck to water but uh, i mean mechanically it's an it's an entirely different operation right yeah uh but uh okay so i i started violin at probably 12 i started piano at 15 and somewhere in the middle there i started teaching myself the guitar with a plectrum Mm -hmm. um and and before that, before you started, um, were you playing anything at all? Like nothing, right? So that's incredible. I mean, it's not incredible, but like, given the the level of your, it's talent, late in the game. Right? It's late in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, I've I've got a I, I was talking to a um, to a pal recently, great fiddle player um, from up in uh, North Queensland, Kalida. You should have a chat to her. She, and what's her name? Kalita de Ritter. Her and her brother uh-huh. Tom used to play out a bit. Um, and she started real early and uh, and has done the the classical thing as well. Um, she started real early, and I was having the rave with her about. You know, we've both got kids. Kind of, mine's a little bit older, but around the same kind of age. You know. Um, and you know, when do you want to start kind of teaching stuff? And I, I, uh, cause she started when she was four, I started mm. late and I reckon, um, I reckon there's a, there's, there's a really different thing about the way you learn when you're a bit older. Like you, you can, you can learn, um, you can learn the concepts of the music before you can learn the mechanics of it. Um, you know, like the physical mechanics of it. Um, and I think, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but I think that's equally valid. Um, so what do you mean by the concepts? Um, so somebody can teach you a melody and you can understand things about the melody, um, you know, the, the, the shape of, fifth, of, of 16 bars. How, mm-hmm. how does... How does the melody work across sixteen bars as opposed to learning the individual notes? And I think as a when you're really young, you 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 learn the mechanics of making the sound and you learn the order that you're supposed to play in. I don't I don't think that and, and I'm I'm not a psycho- psychologist, so I wouldn't have a clue, but I can imagine, and especially from teaching adults, I can imagine that um it's a bit of a shortcut to be able to say, let's just look at what the melody is doing, whether it's, you know, looking visually or let's examine it orally. Um, there's this that happens and then it, it makes this figure and then it makes this figure. And what does that do? That kind of rises, gives you a bit of sense of, you know, um, tension and then the tension's released and all of this sort of stuff. Um, I think you can understand that better um, a bit older and I think that's a shortcut to being able to um, to hear music, you know, as opposed to just hearing, you know, or whatever. And adults, it's a further thing again. You can start, start, you know, teaching by association. You know, what is this? Um, this sort of harmony, like if you if you play an A minor over this phrase instead of a C f- phrase, what does it make you feel? And you've got you know a lifetime's worth, an adult lifetime's worth of emotional content that you can attach to it and differentiate, you know. And I I reckon I reckon there's a, there's a lot in that. Um, so yeah, it was starting late, but um, 
but I think it also it came it came then very quickly, you know. And before you were playing, what were you hearing? So in the house, you know, f- yeah, from zero to twelve. Um, zero to twelve. Yeah, or? yeah, zero to twelve. Zero to three. I remember uh, hearing. Um, I remember hearing Planksty when I was really, really young, and I remember hearing um, uh, Greek Bazooki Trio, um, two records that are imprinted on my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then growing which, up, which planks? Which planks? Uh, uh, you tell me the story about that. Yeah, the, yeah, the planks. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I have, I have a burned-in memory of jumping up and down to um, the beginning of the Raggle Taggle Gypsies, and to the instrumental at the end of that. Um, Give me your hand, whatever that is in Irish. I'm not going to insult Give everyone. The love, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to insult people yeah. by trying. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I remember jumping up and down on a sofa um, that places it in Melbourne, and we moved to Tassie when I was three. Um, <clears throat> so that's in there, you know, kind of. That's part of my primordial soup. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then in the house, um, in the house there was um, my, my dad's a pretty kind of um you know he's taken exception to some of my descriptions of his (laughs) of his love of hi-fi um so i'll be very kind of vanilla and say he's um he's really really interested in getting good sound with home hi-fi like obsessively got it um yeah um like uh i i would shudder to think what length their beards would be if him and Graham Newell got in a room together. <laughs> if you know Graham, and that's for you, Graham. <laughs> um, uh, so he he used to he used to make adjustments, and then there were records that he used to put on. Planksty was uh-huh. Planksty was one record. American Beauty by the Grateful Dead was another record. All um, right. Oh yeah, don't don't get me started on them. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> To, Pretty, um, amazing mandolin as well. In in the Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah. on the on on that record, yeah. Dave Grisman's playing um, on a on a on a bunch of them, a bunch of the tracks. Great. Um, uh, I got Brandenburg concertos. I remember that was always on, and there's a um, some Mozart sonatas. Um, Indian music, uh, old jazz. You know, twenties and thirties jazz. Sometimes some Miles Davis. I think Dad really liked in a silent way. Um, and uh, Dylan, you know, uh, I mean, and 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 then other Irish music. We we had uh, the Chieftains on a lot. All the Planksy records, all the Nick Jones records on vinyl. Right, so yeah. Nick Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Early, early. Um, when when I started playing. Uh, I started playing mandolin and got a little trio together. And in terms of the kind of song content, I was equal parts wanting to do um, Martin Carthy guitar, Nick Jones guitar. So I'd learn the guitar parts and then try and figure out an approximation on the mandolin. So I I went through a big English guitar, fingerstyle guitar phase. Um, And so so that's that's interesting. Like, so... um, um, for the benefit of people who aren't familiar necessarily with, with Nick Jones and um, Martin Carthy, so um, how would you how would you describe Nick Jones? Because I, I remember Nick Jones. The first time I ever heard a Nick Jones song was there was this Scottish guitarist who came to our town, him and his pal, and they lived in a flat up the hill, and they came into the pub where we were playing, and um, he played the Lakes of Shailin. Yeah, yeah. And, and he made this kind of compilation tape for me and my mate, and we listened to it, and it was so English. We were like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Like I've never, I've never heard anybody singing like this. This kind of the the English Englishness of it was just kind of bursting out. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I we just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Really, I I I played. Uh, do you know Nola Kennedy? No. Flute so. flute player from uh, from Dundalk who lived in in Edinburgh for a long time. Right. 
Um, she she's been out here a couple times. Um, she was out actually at the national maybe last year with uh, Bazuki player who plays with Jefferson Hamer or Hamer. Anyway, lovely lovely Bazuki um, and uh, and singing. Anyway, um, I I was like oh you you know she was looking for songs and and oh you got you got to check out Nick Jones and she couldn't get past the singing. Um, you know, for the same Englishness of it, yeah. Which uh, I love it. No, yeah, it's it's odd. Oh. It's odd. It's an acquired taste. And then, and I think even um, Nick Jones once described the first three records, or the first two records he did as his donkey braying um, phase. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Seems it seems a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well he can say it. You know, <laughs> he can say it. But, but um, I, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because. Um, the time when I was growing up, right, mm. there was no real um, thought given to the English tradition in in the kind of mainstream um, sort of folk stuff that you'd see on TV. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned anyway, right? I mean, I was in Northern Ireland, so I suppose, you, you know, that's... Yeah, yeah. That explains it, but I, I just... I, I've always felt like um, it was this... As I got older, I realised it was this incredible, neglected... A big hole. Resource. Yeah. And I remember listening to um, uh, Mark Radcliffe. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a kind of DJ in the, in the UK. He's a kind of rock DJ. But he played, late one night, he played this version of um, someone playing, someone from Suffolk singing a, a, a song called The Foggy, Foggy Dew. Yeah, right. And it blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. It was unbelievable. It was a field recording, but the... The the singing itself was was pitch perfect, but the the the, the rawness of the emotion in it and the, yeah. the cruelty in the story was yeah. like it was just one of those moments where it finishes and there's this blackness of silence and yeah. you're like yeah yeah what was that what happened yeah you know <laughs> awesome well <laughs> um, well okay so in um and it, yeah it's it's hard actually to kind of I mean, I I see Martin Carthy and Nick Jones as as so kind of um, almost worlds apart um, in 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 a lot of ways, you know, uh, in 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 the way that they, but 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 in the way that they play and sing, but um, but certainly part of that whole kind of let's go down to Cecil Sharp House and research, you know, the hell out of. The old ballads, um, the old broadsides. Um, Nick Jones used to write a lot of a lot of new melodies for them because a lot of the melodies he thought were a bit kind of hackneyed. Um, and uh, and he's good, and so Martin Carthy's very um, very kind of uh, American old blues on an acoustic guitar, you know, thump 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 with the with the um, with the thumb. And then melody stuff with the uh, uh, with the fingers. That's how he mm-hmm. started. And he's kind of gone. The early records are very much that way. And then, um, and actually, uh, you know, he's he's said he said to me, but but also in uh, in interviews, that Nick Jones's effect on him was that, wow, you can really open out guitar parts and have quite kind of minimal. Um, approach to it you know like it doesn't have to be kind of frantic all the time yeah, but Nick, Nick Jones style uh, f- from those early albums is, is just so rhythmic it's incredible yeah yeah he I mean he so. he uh, the, the his sense of rhythm is just astonishing I reckon um, mm. and the because uh, because it's so hypnotic you know like just the, like almost like um, you know rolls of the waves or something you know the c- kind of yeah Kind of gentle but relentless, you know. Um, it's the it's the it's the tread towards the grave, you know. Yeah, that we're all on. It's the path to it, you know. It's just this dum dum yeah dum yeah. You know, that's where we're all heading, you know. Yeah. There's this uh, sense of um, well, there's a sense of impending something. I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and interestingly, uh, um, you know, any any kind of study of of um, 
of uh, you know influences on Planksty. Nick Jones was an absolute kind of. They were all listening to all the records. They did Little Musgrave after hearing his version of it. Um, actually, on um, uh, there's a, there's a tune that I recorded with Andy. Um, with Andy Irvin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that he did on on your favorite album, the um, Rainy Sundays. Ra- Ra- Rainy Sundays. Um, that starts off with uh, with a, it's kind of piano heavy arrangement, and the bazooki comes in later. Oh, it's uh, farewell to Balamani. Farewell to to, to Balamani. Yeah, that um, <laughs> Andy wanted to, to record it with me because he had this you know incredible bazooki part that he wanted to kind of dig out again and really bring to the fore. Um, and when you hear the bazooki part, it's and he said, "I wanted to. I wanted to do a Nick Jones guitar part on the on the bazooki." And it's really that kind of, um, uh, yeah. There's there's this, there's an interesting thing with with Nick Jones's playing, where frequently the notes that you would imagine would be bass notes being played at the head of the beat or whatever don't. So you kind of. There's this there's this relentless thing going on, and then surprises every now and again. Um, and Andy's Andy's bazooki part has that. It's it's killer. <laughs> oh well, I have to check it out. I haven't yeah. heard that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that version of it. So, yeah. So so that uh, brings us very neatly on to yeah. to chatting a bit about Plankston and about Andy Irvin and his influence on your style of playing. Um, but uh, do you want to do a tune first? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Does this seem like a natural? I tell you what, I'll do. I'll do a Martin a, a song I got off Martin Carthy. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, um, it's a it's a cobbled together ballad. There's kind of snippets everywhere, and Martin gathered it all together. Um, and it's got uh, larger than life pigs, um, pigs of unusual size. Um, <laughs> And uh, giants and um, and an intrepid hero, uh, and it's called uh, Rackabello. Brilliant. <coughs> and I've gone hoarse from all of this gas bagging, so I'll, I'll try and not make a an ass of it. Um, all right, here we go. Daddy, I'm a Ruby, I'm a Dandy. 
his own front door Up jumped the giant from the wild woods of Tor With me right Raddy on my roothy eye, the daddy eye Daddy on my roothy eye, the daddy Up jumped the giant and Rackabella flew You killed my little pig, now it's time for you With me right Raddy on my roothy eye, the daddy on the die Daddy on my roothy eye, the dandy Rackabella took out his knife again Rackabella, Rackabella split his head in twain with me right Raddy on my roothy eye, the daddy on the die Daddy on my roothy eye, the dandy One other thing I want to say about Nick Jones, just that, I mean, like, so there's an English folk song. How weird is that song? Dragons, pigs, death. It's mm-hmm. like, it's mad. Um, giant, giants. <laughs> I love your face. Giants, pigs, yeah. it's mad. So um, I was looking up some stuff about Nick Jones and uh, I knew that he had experimented with different tunings and things as he was sort of developing his style in a... One of the tunings that I saw he did was a was so you basically instead of the normal guitar tuning you you tune your guitar to a B flat F B flat F B flat and a C. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, uh maybe to to guitar aficionados that seems like nothing, but I looked at that and I thought, yeah, that that's there's your, that's an innovator. Yeah. That's an innovator that fellow. <laughs> or a chadza. Aye. So yeah. uh, anyway, uh, amazing stuff from Luke Plum and. Uh, Hopefully you'll realize what an incredible player he is and you'll tune in next week because next week's conversation, we cover his career with Sugar Nifty. We cover Scottish dance music and finding a voice and recording. And we talk as well in depth about, again, about Andy Irvin and Planksty and what it is about Andy Irvin's musical imagination that really sets him apart from um, so many other musicians. So, yeah, it's, it's totally brilliant. So, look... Speaking about taking breaks in the middle, I, I I really really enjoy Blind Boy's podcast. I don't know if any listeners listening to it, but he's a um, an Irish lad from Limerick. He does like an hour two hour podcast where he he'll have a hot take or he'll do whatever. Anyway, he, he's hilarious. He's insightful. He's philosophical. He produces a fantastic podcast. I'm, I'm a huge fan, but and I hate saying this or calling him out on it, but it just it. it it kills me. So during during his podcast that I love so much, there's these ad breaks, and like sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. But you're deep in this zone, like you're in the zone, and next minute, a, a, I don't know a Toyota ad comes on. It's it's hugely compressed and it doesn't fit within any of the narrative that he's just been on, and it it, it pulls you out of this state of mind and drops you back in there again. And we knew we knew about this getting into making the Blarney Pilgrims. So when we were looking at hosting and all that, we actually we, we chose a hosting service where we pay each week for our listeners, so for you not to have an advert coming at you. I don't like getting woken up from an app. I don't like getting pulled out of a dream. I don't like getting disturbed when I'm in the, a moment of a moment of reverie, a moment of depth, like you just heard when when I was chatting to Luke Plum. Mm-hmm. So the dream is the dreamlike experience of hopefully listening to a podcast when you're really absorbed in it is hopefully what we're preserving by not having ads but by not having ads we are also imposing a cost on ourselves so we really need you as many of you as possible this week to go to patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims and to subscribe and to subscribe at whatever level you're able to to help us keep doing this even if it's two dollars an episode that's huge for us it really matters it makes a difference it's what will enable us to keep doing this and actually one thing i did want to mention just on it's a bit of a side is patreon depending on where you are in the world patreon has been adding on bits of tax and things onto how much comes out of your account now i've gone in and i've changed that this month and hopefully you'll see that it should be a, a small a smaller measure so it'll hopefully be around the two dollar mark exactly depending on what your conversion rate depending on whereabouts in the world mm-hmm. you are so whatever that is but before patreon had been doing a um a, a tax hopefully we now have it as a, it's a donation and it won't, you won't get any tax on it so that's just a bit of an, an aside for our patrons which are there and hey i, I normally start by saying thank you 
and I mean that. Thank you to our patrons that continually pay for us. You're our legends. You're the ones that allow us to do this, and uh, it means we can plan to keep on keep on growing and, and doing what we're doing. Well, look, I think that's really the end of it. Really looking forward to next week to get into the the meaty stuff, which I know is coming. And uh, yeah, it, it, you're in for a cracker. And we're done. Thanks again, Luke Plum. Thanks, Luke. Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.